recording now. Okay. I think, yep, that's recording. Okay. Cool. Well, okay. Thank you guys for be both being here. Um, I know you guys must be busy and have busy schedules with the school year wrapping up and everything. Um, but we would just like to take um, a minute to let you guys introduce yourself um, and explain basically your path to Lafayette. So um, Vice President, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, my name is Annette DiOrio. Uh, I will uh, go into a little more about what I do in uh, a little later, but I'm the Vice President for Campus Life. I am actually a first-generation college student. I'm from the Bronx. So my uh, path to Lafayette is, is actually uh, fairly interesting. I had an uncle who uh, went here in the 1950s, and uh, I always thought the college was amazing. And uh, I grew up in New York. I went to a SUNY college, and then I worked at two SUNY colleges in residence life. And I moved to Missouri and uh, worked in Missouri while I was getting my doctorate from the University of Kansas. When the job as director of residence life opened up at Lafayette in 2000, I said, well, if there's one place in the world I would ever want to work, it is Lafayette College. I applied. I got the job. I was able to move back home, be closer to my family, and uh, work at a place that has been imprinted on my mind since I was six years old. Wow, that's amazing. That's an interesting family story there. And yeah, great, great that you're here. Brian, I'll hand it off to you now. Hi, well, um, I'm great to, grateful to really be here on the third week uh, as Dean of Students. And uh, my path was sort of circular and came back up north. So I grew up in Massachusetts. Um, if you meet me on campus, you won't be able to detect a, a Boston accent. I, I grew up in Western Mass, but um, really entered higher education also as first generation student. Uh, my sisters and I had all gone to the four year institutions kind of first in our family. Um, and I, be, I then moved uh, south. So I lived in Tennessee for five years while I was pursuing my doctorate and, and working for the University of Tennessee. So much larger institution, but my roots were at liberal arts. Uh, I went to liberal arts college myself and uh, most recently, I was at Franklin and Marshall, so just hour and a half away in, in Lancaster. Um, what's funny is my sister went to Muhlenberg, and so I always remembered um, driving to see her and passing by Lafayette and Easton uh, and, and through the Lehigh Valley. And I always said, hey, you know, this would be a really wonderful place to live one day. And then all of a sudden, you know, five years after moving to Pennsylvania, this position opened and the rest is history. And um, looks like I had that moment of fate and made my way here, too. That's so interesting. You guys have similar ways of finding uh, Lafayette in a sense, you know, like either driving past it or, you know, it kind of always being in the back of your mind. That's so interesting. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. It's just how, how life connects the dots for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a thank you for sharing the stories. Um, and I guess a follow up question that we will naturally have is that how did you end up in the well, how did you end up in today's podcast? Like, what are you here for? And why are you guys here and what is your role professionally on campus and in the administration department? Brian, do you want to start this one? Sure. So the, the offices I work most closely with in Dean of Students are Residence Life, Student Conduct, Title IX, Campus Involvement, so think clubs, organizations, orientation, Greek life, um, as well as behavioral uh, care and recreational services, religious, spiritual life. So a lot of little offices um, that, that do very different things, but work together on a lot of initiatives. Um, and so to your question about um, what prepared me for when I came here, um, I think in uh, interest to many of your listeners as well, um, I have a background with, with Title IX work. I had served as the deputy Title IX coordinator for um, Franklin and Marshall. And so advising students who were 
going through the process as, as complainants um, and, and victims of sexual misconduct, as well as um, an investigator in, in many capacities for, for cases that may have been um, sexual misconduct. And then as a panelist, um, hearing those cases and, and determining an outcome. So really seeing that process um, through really informed uh, me for when I would take a position as Dean of Students and work very closely with Title IX. Um, and the second part of your question? I guess Sorry. the second part of my question, I don't remember it, but after you've shared all the experience you've had in your previous roles, like what are the experiences? Because I do realize that you're new to campus life. So what are the experiences that you're bringing into Lafayette? Because I could see BPD or you're just nodding your head like, yep, we've got the right man for the job. <laughs> uh, so what is that thing about you? that you're bringing to Lafayette and you're excited about in this new role? Yeah, we, um, we had a saying at Tennessee, which was uh, when the football team walked out onto the field, they would tap a sign that read, um, I'll give my all for, for the University of Tennessee today. And that's sort of the way I look at, at Lafayette and, and my work as a dean of students. You know, Every day, how can we impact and improve the lives of students? And how can I serve as an advocate for them? Um, so in a day's work, how have you advanced the student life? And what I feel um, I bring to this role is the experience of having been a student at a liberal arts institution, but then having worked at them, um, both at Boston College and FNM, um, to really understand that there is um, a really symbiotic relationship between the learning outside the classroom and inside. So a student who um, is involved, who is well cared for, who um, feels connected and supported and appreciated by the community for 90% of the day um, will perform much better when they're in class or when they're working on assignments and when they're preparing for what's after Lafayette, which I hope is always a bright future. Um, and so what I bring to that is um, having worked at other liberal arts colleges with FNM, for example, um, working in many of these different offices, seeing students graduate um, after have knowing them for four years and where those points were where you can be impactful. Um, it's really just that energy drive. How do we do a better job on, on accenting the value that I know is there um, and that's, that's being done for our students day in and day out and continue to be responsive to them as, as our student population changes over time. Mm -hmm. That was that was just a great answer. I also love the assumption on your part that you think it's like ninety five percent of the time we'll be out of class. <laughs> but yeah, uh, out of the academic I, buildings, just perhaps not <laughs> in class. Oh yeah, all the time, especially with COVID now. Um, but I guess now moving on to BPD or you, would you explain all the different jobs that you do in your role as the BP? Yeah, so it's interesting actually. Um, there, there's I have an interesting path even at Lafayette. I did not spend my entire uh, 20 years here at Lafayette in campus life. I was actually moved into the finance division for uh, just under a year. So I, I've been at both, a, I was the dean of students, I was the director of residence life, and then I became uh, the vice president for campus life. If, if we think about sort of the complexity of the, the, the division of campus life, right? So it's a large, it's a fairly large division on campus that has a lot of departments that touch students' lives every day in, in various ways, from athletics to public safety, to the health center, to the counseling center, religious and spiritual life, OID, residence life, educational equity, all of those spaces. So I kind of um, imagine myself a little bit like, um, I've sometimes like, I feel like I'm the center of a wheel, right? So you've got all of these different areas uh, that are around you and in the center, you're trying to sort of tie them together and make them sort of move in a, in a pattern that makes sense for students. And that's 
what I think my, 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 much of my role is, I report to the president. So I am the person who represents um, all of the student voices in the cabinet conversations and the cabinet are my colleagues who report to the president. Um, and you know, much of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, it's sad, I, I, spend, I spend really, in my, in my day job, I spend very little time with students directly. Um, we, have a, we have a large staff, I supervise a lot of staff, I spend a lot of time uh, with staff, working on committees, working on policy, um, thinking about resource allocation, but then in the evenings and the weekends, I kind of get to go and uh, spend time with students and to see um, what students are up to and how, how their lives are being shaped by their experience. And I agree 100% with what Brian um, said, actually, you know, the one of the foundations of my dissertation was to look at the way internet usage impacted academic and social integration. It is really important for both of those pieces to be present for students to really thrive in an environment. So you can be having the best experience in the classroom. And if things are not good outside the classroom, it, it isn't the best experience. And similarly, you know, it's sort of the other way, like you can be having a really great social, very full social experience, but if you're sort of struggling to, to find your footing um, in, in classes, those two really impact each other. So the work that we do really helps to support and kind of lift up um, the academic experiences of students. So it's, in, it's important work. Kind of also transitioning from that, I think that's a good segue into something that we wanna to transition to next. Um, we wanted to, transition this discussion to something that we talked about in a previous conversation. Um, so the concept of institutional betrayal was discussed with our two previous guests. And essentially this concept that we discussed means that when a traumatic event happens to an individual like sexual or racial misconduct, um, this person can re-experience that traumatic event at the hands of an institution like a college or university and um, essentially suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD if the institution or administration does not provide adequate resources, support, or belief in the survivor. And as you were saying, it's so important. Um, students' college life is so important, um, and that's why we have an administration, right? That's why we have you in the positions that you are to kind of provide that um, support or, you know, create that support within the student and campus life and culture. That was a great segue into what we wanted to discuss with you guys. And mm -hmm. just having you explain the importance of a, I don't know, like overall the good college experience and how you guys are dedicated to maintain it, even without us asking it was like really good to hear. And the thing that we wanted to discuss, especially in today's podcast was what appears to be this dissonance between what the administration is trying to do, the atmosphere it's trying to create for its students and the community, and what has been felt or expressed by the student body in the past year. So over the past year, as I guess VPD or you're, you're aware, I don't know Dean Sambles if you're still aware of this or not, but then over the past years, past year, especially during the summer, the sentiments of institutional betrayal have been expressed by the student body through the Instagram pages like Anti-Violence at Laugh and Year Laugh at College and Black at Laugh. The college also acknowledged these Instagram pages and the emotions, the feelings, the opinions expressed in them. And then they released a statement on July 6, 2020, acknowledging the seriousness of these accounts. And President Byerly admitted that the college was in a sense 
is failing to live up to and act according to it to the to its values. So just to quote her to make sure that I am not um, misrepresenting her uh, intentions and words. So she said, these individual actions, when she talks about the different individuals' actions that we can take against sexual and racial misconduct in our community, are critical. But we also recognize that the college bears the ultimate institutional responsibility for shaping the environment we all inhabit. So we want to take this moment to readdress why we're having this podcast today. You know, the vision behind this podcast Mm -hmm. is to essentially create a space for growth rather than, you know, accusation, um, be it towards any individual or organization or institution. And that is why we want to provide a platform for the administration um, within you guys mm-hmm. to share their views as well. Um, this question might cause you know, some hiccups and I'm sorry, this is such a long winded <laughs> lead up, but um, vice president and Dean, at least from an administrative perspective, how accurate do you think um, are the students' complaints of the inefficiency of certain processes and has the administration stumbled on a few of its values here? That's a great question. So I, I, let me let me let me take a half a step back and just answer a question that you didn't a- ask, but let me just say it. Uh, you know, so we we did, and I I don't want to speak for Dean Sample because he wasn't working here during the summer. So we we were sort of looking at the inst- at least some of us were looking at the Instagram pages. Now you know, sort of um, acting on anonymous things is one thing. So, you know, starting a conduct process with something that's anonymous is really not a thing that we can do, but you certainly can take an understanding of the institutional um, climate, like how people are feeling. You can get that. And, and we we all um, read and, and were deeply saddened and, and, and distressed, and, and they were painful, um, painful things to read. And, you know, in some cases, we, we may be familiar with something, and, and in some cases, it's the first thing that you're that you're hearing of it, right? So, um, let let me let me start by saying, you know, that the pain and the the sort of the the, the trauma and the sense of feeling abandoned was, was certainly palpable to to anybody who who read any of those pages. I think that I'm a person who is a big believer in assessment, and I'm a big believer in sort of continuous improvement, right? So we are always trying to get better. Um, I can point back over my 35-year career and say, here are things that did not go well, and here's the lessons that we learned from that, and here's how we're trying to uh, be better. And I do think we emerged from the summer, um, certainly within campus life, I I believe as an institution, but I I can sort of speak a little more clearly to campus life, with a renewed commitment to sort of both understanding the experiences of our students um, and then reshaping and continuing to reshape our policies, our procedures, our processes, to sort of fit uh, what the needs of our students are right now. Uh, I don't offer this as an excuse in any way, but we have had an enormous amount of turnover uh, over the last several years. So it is hard to um, kind of get, we sort of just get into a, a place where you can begin to make change and to, to um, you know, think about improving things and you have key staff turnover and then you are sort of beginning that process again. Mm-hmm. Hopeful uh, that our staff is, is, is pretty solid right now and that we really will be able to use the existing data sources to make some changes. We also have been in a period of change with federal regulations as well, or certainly around Title IX, um, that made it really challenging. We were, we were changing the policies like within two years of, of enacting policies. That creates training challenges. It creates all kinds of challenges that we hope to um, sort of move forward from with a better trained 
um, more accessible in many ways, uh, a staff that can actually uh, really meet students where they are and, 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 and help uh, to sort of respond in a way that students feel valued in, in that response um, moving forward. Does that answer your question a little bit or? It, it, it does. And like, thank you so much for acknowledging that and pointing out that it is a process. We are all in this process of making our community better and safer. The fact that we are having these difficult discussions is admirable in itself and talks volumes of our commitment to our committee, uh, community. And Dean Sambles, do you have any addition to that? I don't know if you are or aren't aware of these Instagram pages, but any 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 opinions? <laughs> yes, I'm I'm aware of the Instagram pages and, and certainly the posters. Um, in, intentions, from what I understand, to really just improve campus climate and, and where we are. And we had a similar one at at, at Lafayette or uh, at Franklin and Marshall as well. Um, I'll say that you know our hearts go out to victims of sexual violence or misconduct, uh, gender-based discrimination, because that moment um, in time can stick with a person for the rest of their life. And you, you never know how many triggers or how many um, re-traumatization experiences someone's going to have just in that short time that they're going to be with on, us on campus. That could be a year, two years, three years, or, or, or more. Um, I do want to say that when that moment happens, if that moment happens, you really hope that no one doesn't know where to go or who to turn to or what resources there to support them. So I think that that's really what um, the basis of our work is and, and will continue to be um, to continue to educate the community um, in advance about what are the standards of behavior we expect people to abide by um, in, in their own actions and decision making. And then um, what supports are here from the college to not only um, offer supportive measures, but for folks who want to pursue um, institutional action or extra institutional action against someone, um, what those are, and we can help kind of be that air traffic control and guidepost to help getting folks supported and then on, on the appropriate path that they choose um, or they elect to make. And, and people make different choices. And one of the things that um, Vice President Diorio alluded to was that the whole regulatory environment has changed in the last year. Um, in some ways, the federal government has defined what sexual harassment is and left parts open-ended for, for further follow-up if it doesn't meet that definition. And as I read through the policy, um, certainly at sort of that 10,000 foot view, you see decision after decision reflected in the policy um, here at Lafayette that says, no, if this conduct still occurred, there are other avenues we're gonna take care of that. Maybe their process B, maybe their student conduct. But if someone violated, um, going back to your question about values, our institutional values of what we hold ourselves to and any member of our community to, um, there are pathways for institutional response. So um, I hope your listeners um, are, are hearing that and we will continue to be talking about what those pathways are and supportive measures um, as we go forward. That was a very nice response. And I know that you meant it because we could feel it across the screen. Uh, and thank you for bringing this uh, topic about institutional and individual values as well. As Greta and I were talking about in preparation of this podcast, uh, one thing that one question that we thought would be important to ask is how can or how is the administration working to communicate the efforts that it is doing right now to its students, it, to its student body? Like we made it very clear in the beginning of the podcast that this podcast is made with the intention of effective communication about what the student body feels and also connecting it to the administration because the communication isn't always easy. 
Uh, and one of the ways or one of the questions that we had to make this communication easier is, so we do realize that the college has set up a diversity, equity, and inclusion council. Uh, and, it, and the council is made with the intention to tackle issues such as racial and sexual misconduct. So can you briefly talk about how this council would, will work with the student body and what has it achieved so far from the July 2nd and July 6th statements that were made? Concrete non-policy related efforts because as students, I don't think most of us understand the policies pretty well. Sure. So uh, a couple things. Uh, the, the DEI Council is comprised of a number of folks, but is really led by three um, individuals. And uh, sort of the convener of the group is uh, uh, Dean uh, Jamila Bukwala, who is the dean of the faculty. Um, and she is also the college's uh, sort of seen in the college's senior diversity officer role. Uh, then additionally, Alma Scott Busak, who is the uh, uh, AVP for Human Resources, and Rob Young, who is the Director of Intercultural Development, kind of represent uh, sort of faculty, staff, and students, and then there are other folks who, who join that committee. Uh, one of the things that the, the committee sort of asked that we do early in the year, and I can uh, speak a little bit about what we have done in Campus Life, again, I'm not as familiar with all the other divisions across campus, but it is there, um, is they sort of asked us to make a list of the specific things that we were thinking of doing, some very specific commitments that we have made. And so, you know, for my, for my team, um, our leadership team committed an hour a week in the fall uh, that was really focused on um, different aspects of student identity, deepening our knowledge in a variety of areas. And so we uh, paired either short readings, um, some, some short YouTube videos, um, and this could be on things uh, really about, you know, sort of ranging from uh, pronoun usage to a variety of other um, sort of aspects around identity that we just wanted to sort of um, unpack and, and talk about as, as a leadership team. And then that sort of moved move down. Uh, one, of the, one of the things from within the Division of Campus Life, of course, that was launched last week was the athletics department has launched a, a complete uh, DEI plan that is available on the website. And uh, they worked all fall on that. Um, and uh, Sharita Freeman did a wonderful job uh, leading the athletic staff in that. Uh, you know, we did provide and we continue. Um, it's not new, so I, I don't want to take new claim for this, but we have provided since the Office of Public Safety moved from the Finance Division into Campus Life, which was probably about seven years ago, uh, we have we have required all of our officers to have annual training and de-escalation. We were really uh, way ahead of sort of municipal part departments in, in requiring that, but it was important, certainly to me, um, as somebody who's responsible for the overall life of students, that we at least try uh, to improve the skill sets of um, of our officers in terms of the way they interact with students. Now, again, we're not perfect. And I, it's not that I don't hear that there are concerns that come up, but these are some of the things that we have done. Um, we did uh, uh, unconscious bias training for our uh, police department again in, in, in the fall. Um, and in our chief of police and director of public safety participated in a number of uh, community sort of listening sessions that were held in Bethlehem, Allentown, Easton around sort of the police and violence and, and the community. We applied for and received a $30,000 grant from the state around uh, sexual violence prevention. And perhaps um, Amanda in a previous podcast had mentioned this, but we really are using that money to further three very specific initiatives 
um, in terms of um, partnering with NTAB, which is about ending technology-enabled abuse uh, to provide training for students, faculty, and staff to understand um, you know, the relationship between sexual violence and technology, which I think is, is an important uh, piece. Uh, we are and did enroll additional staff in training from the Association for Title IX Administrators, which is an organization called the TICSA that covers Title IX training, including recruiting more faculty um, to serve as advisors to students during hearings, which is important because we have heard consistently from students that, you know, if you can't find an advisor, then you might you might have a friend uh, being in a hearing with you and someone else has a lawyer and that feels very lopsided. Uh, so there was that piece. And then also I think, um, and Pards Against Sexual Assault will be participating in this, but uh, partnering with the Crime Victims Council to do, and Turning Point to do some training uh, for your group, which I think is, is wonderful. We also move forward that staff position focused on providing advocacy and, and prevention centered in, in, in sexual violence. And I, and I do think that that is an important role. Now we haven't filled the role. Uh, there, um, I hope to get someone in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so those were some of the things that we included on our divisional plans that we gave to the DEI Council. Um, I do hope that there's a mechanism for all of that work across every division of the college to be shared with students. Um, but you know, for us, committing time to um, you know sort of deepening our understanding of, of issues is an important uh, way to sort of facilitate those conversations. And, and to build on to everything that um, Annette just described kind of led to this point, um, I'll, I'll point to two concrete examples actually moving forward as well. Uh, one, uh, your listeners are also getting a preview on this. Uh, there'll be an announcement in, in one of the upcoming Lafayette Todays. Um, but there will be a Dean's Task Force on Campus Community Development. And that task force, um, which is just in the first stages of meeting, um, draws on mostly students um, and a few staff members to look at action steps to drive forward to improve campus life um, in the student experience uh, on things that are being raised with PASA, with Dear Lafayette, with um, different student factions on campus um, and, and things we know we need to, to, to work on. Um, and so uh, we will be extending invitations to meet with the task force directly to PASA um, as well as other groups and looking to see, you know, for many of what we're reading about of, of orientation, of extended um, activities and programs of support of um, different juncture uh, and points we can hit on campus and things we can do to improve space and, and meeting locations. Um, we're really looking to, to put a lot of action steps into place rather rapidly. Um, over the summer, into the fall. And so uh, there, there is going to be an open feedback loop there where we're hoping to connect with organizations. A second example, in addition to that, um, being new to the Dean of Students role, uh, you, you touched on communication. Um, I, I hope to again, fill into the, this role of, of serving as a communicator between what's going on in campus life with the student body. Um, so I will have one, once a month town halls um, where I'll invite students to, to kind of come up and gather. Uh, maybe they're in Farinan, maybe we're in another location. Um, if we still have different statuses, maybe it'll be outside. Um, but we'll gather in person where I can uh, answer questions and maybe we'll have bagels, coffee or something. But um, I do want to encourage great. students to come out and do um, discussion points. So maybe we'll team up with PASA and say, hey, let's, let's work with Title IX, PASA and, and the Dean's office. And let's give a, a talk, an update, kind of a check-in on where we are um, with just you know, respect on campus and, and specifically looking at sexual assaults or misconduct um, more broadly. 
and how can we make these continuous improvements? So I think on the communication front, you'll start to see these once a month town halls. And, and I would love for POS to be involved in one of those topic points as well. Yeah, I think that we would too. And um, I know that was like a lot of content, you know, and I, I kind of see your point though, that like it, there is a struggle to communicate all of this work and all of this kind of behind the scenes education and um, yeah, all these measures to the students. It's hard to communicate that, right? Because not only do you have to be doing the work, but you know, um, that is an added level of work to communicate that to students. And so I think in, you know, in the upcoming semester and in these upcoming months, I'm sure we will be hearing that. Um, and I think students will be seeing that a little bit more clearly, but of course it's hard to communicate at this point because there is so much behind the scenes work going on. And, um, we do appreciate that. I think as students, as past members, there is an appreciation for that. I think it's hard to see it though. But I don't want you to think like, so this is one of the things I struggle with in communicating this. I don't want students to ever think we think this is like a merit badge. It's like, we've done it. There it is. It's on the wall. It's over. Mm-hmm. Like for us, this, this is, this is constant, right? So I, I always worry with the communication piece that I don't want students to think I'm saying we have done this. We understand this. It is over. There is no more conversation to be had. We are always trying to improve our skills and to get better at, at the things that we do and better at understanding your experience of the campus. When, when, when I first came to Lafayette, this is probably more going off in the tangent, but when I first came to Lafayette, um, so, you know, I, I, I came to Lafayette and, you know, students were, uh, they were asking me like, well, you know, are you married? I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm involved with women. Like, this is like, this is who I am. And they were like, oh yeah, this isn't, this isn't a place where you can say that. And this, this was 20 years ago, mind you. So, you know, but, but I'm like, well, yeah, I, I can though. And, and I think one of the things that I have to always understand and that we have to understand as administrators is our experience of the campus is not like yours. I do not have the same, you know, students will treat me very differently. Faculty will treat me very differently. Staff will treat me very differently than students might experience just because of where I sit in the organization. And so I need students to really help us to understand how your lived experience is on campus. Because I don't, I I have not experienced this campus as a student. Now I'm pretty fortunate. My wife is a Lafayette alum. So I have, I have that as a, I have that as a touch point. And I also have other family members, but it's not, it's not, it's not seen through one person's eyes. And we really need students to help us to understand you, you now, students who are here now are not the same as the students that were here 20, 20 years ago when I started at Lafayette. You have different needs, you have different interests, you have different passions, and we need to continue to evolve what we do uh, to, to sort of match that. And that's, that's important for us. Gosh, I mean, you just took the next question right out of my mouth. So, you know, um, but like that's that's really great to hear because I was going to ask, you know, what does the administration need from students to properly do their job? And, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Amanda and, you know, she was saying that as a Title IX coordinator, she needs students to report and hopefully trust that she can do her job or, you know, students can help her do her job and vice versa. But that's great to hear like you need us as students to be active and have a voice and essentially tell you what's on our mind and I need you not to give up on us I think that's that's what I really need like I really need students not not to give up on us we we aren't perfect I mean we we know that Mm -hmm. we 
aren't perfect. No, no one is actually has the luxury of being perfect. Um, we, we always are trying to learn. We are always trying to improve the things that we do. Um, I certainly understand the frustration that students express. Like you're here for four years. And if one year or two years or one week or, or a month or four years of your experience is impacted, that is a, that is a very significant period of time for a student, right? So if you don't see change in, in a year, that means 25% of your career at Lafayette has gone by and you haven't seen that change. So I definitely, I definitely understand that. I think the other thing we really need to try to do with students, and I am so hopeful that the group that Brian is putting together will be able to do this, is to bring some of the priorities together so that we can really try to identify those strategies that really address multiple priorities. Because as we move down a list of here are the things that, you know, PASA has asked for, here are the things that your Lafayette has asked for, here are the things that another group has asked for, where those intersect and where we can advance multiple priorities with some of the things that we're doing, I think will have a huge impact. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, something I've learned kind of lately is that, you know, an institution can't really do its job properly um, without trust. You know, there's institutional institutional betrayal and there's also institutional trust. And so like it's kind of the institution's job to create an environment um, of safety and inclusivity and trustworthiness. Um, but I also wanted to ask you, Dean Sample, you know, VP Diorio just touched on this, but, you know, as a deputy Title IX um, office coordinator in your past, I'm sure you've worked on solving issues of both gender and racial equity um, or inequity. And, you know, you did touch on this earlier, but um, I was wondering, you know, what about the intersection of these two? Um, and how do you see your experience in the Title IX office um, assisting you as your new role um, as Dean of Students at Lafayette? And, and I first apologize if you hear a motorcycle in the background. I don't know why, but the street outside <laughs> my office must be uh, on the way to a biker rally. Yeah, um, be a raceway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to answer your question, I think both are both fall under this kind of civil rights-based protected class group. So uh, we 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 hope and we we stand by the pledge that our, our campuses are free from discrimination. You know, based on on sex, based on on race, based on ethnicity, origin, um, sexual orientation, a whole variety of factors. And so we hope that the conversation just doesn't end in, well, dear Lafayette and PASA have brought up um, two groups which are affected on campus, so we're gonna concentrate there. there. There's many more. And I think the approaches that we take, we have to think, okay, how do we report just not to um, sexual assault and misconduct, right? Because um, Amanda Hanacek's here also oversees equity for um, gender-based discrimination. So if there are these concerns coming up um, and they fall into our processes like with process B, um, we wanna make sure that students understand, hey, you know, I've, I've seen something fall. Um, you know, if, is this bias? Let me report it to bias. And maybe it goes through that report and it gets handed off somewhere else. Um, Cause we're like, okay, this, this, this clearly falls into some other discriminatory conduct group. So there's different wheels in motion in play behind the scenes. Students don't always see. Um, I will share this too, having been a deputy talent coordinator, um, sometimes there's an assumption that we know more and by we, the administration um, knows more than, than, um, than we actually do. And so it always is helpful to have more reports. So if, if two people observe something and we, we, one of them thinks the other one submitted it, we may not actually have a report from anybody. And so um, different folks who make observations, who see things, who hear things, we want to know about it so we can take action on it and, and do follow up. 
So if there's anything I can share with your listeners, um, both from my previous and current role, uh, we don't always have all the information and, and we would love all the information. So if, if folks report um, through the appropriate channels, um, that can start the conversation where something may not otherwise be on our radar. But I think in both cases, there, there is that opportunity to, um, to have follow-up with the community where we can, right? So some folks may go through this process and they say, I'd like to, to, to just take the support resources and, and you know, not really talk to the whole campus about it. I don't really want a whole lot of people knowing about it. And other folks are, are much more vocal um, and they, they want to share their experience with others. And so I think times we have um, forums like Take Back the Night, what are other forums for other um, affected groups um, where folks can have almost this carthetic um, sharing um, at the same time as knowing who their resources are, who their supports are, and how can we make the campus a better place. So um, as Annette had mentioned about just continuously looking to improve and continuously looking to engage in conversations, you know, let's be in touch about um, theming, you know, one of the future uh, town halls. And let's talk about who's the right players to have at the table. And what are some action items, you know, I can hold myself accountable to, to deliver on, to say, here's what we're going to accomplish and, and work on doing. Um, and even if, even if we don't know who the right players are, let's get them to the table and let's, let's take that approach. Um, it can sometimes be a long path, but let's always make progress and strides so that if, if you're coming from a, a different country, if you're from a, a uh, a marginalized group, if you've been affected by sexual violence, like let's make this a better place so that that doesn't happen to other people going forward. Yeah, I love the term actionable items. You know, I think that's um, something that is definitely going to catch the student's ear. And that's something that we, you know, both as peer educators, students, community members, we really love to hear and we're so hopeful to hear um, about. So, yeah. And just responding to the like, Thank you, Dean Sambles, like for all your motivating words. And we know that those are honest effort that we all will be collaborating on. And just to respond to Vipidiorio, the student body is not gonna give up on you. It's not gonna give on the give up on the administration. Because I guess the term institutional betrayal itself implies that we do trust the institution and we have trust in its in its capacity for justice. And that is why we're never going to give up, give up on any of you and the effort would be consistent. Um, and now that we're reaching the towards the end of this episode, this final episode of ours, we would like to take this moment to circle back to the first episode of our PASA podcast. First guest was Professor Cuomo. And then an interesting point that Professor Cuomo brought up was that about the power that is vested in the student body. And Frankly, neither I and I believe nor would Greta want to deny that power that we believe we have. Um, and so that day at the end of the podcast, we agreed on these powers that the students have stemming from the values, the individual values and the organizational values we set for ourselves. And the idea was at the end of the day to better our community, we need to start with our values and make sure that they're inclusive and then they're morally sound. And I guess values also kind of made its way into our conversation today. For both of you, VPD Orio and Dean Sambles, what are those values that motivate you to do the amazing work that you're doing to make Lafayette a better place for us all? I think integrity um, plays most into this. 
And integrity is a, a critical part of, of, of my life and growing up. And um, it was a critical part of my, my doctoral program as well. So ethical um, decision-making in, in college and university settings was something that every person who graduated from my program was a part of. Um, it's, it's about making decisions and respecting other people and, and tolerance. And, and, you know, there may not be one experience here that's a Lafayette experience. There may be multiple ones. We want folks to have a safe pathway to, to experience both. Um, one other thing I'll share, I, I didn't share this with many people, but, um, you know, there was a point in my life when I was also offered a position with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And, and part of that process was also undergoing, you know, just recognizing that you make different decisions in life. Um, if, and what values do you go to to make those decisions? I would never have made it to that offer if you hadn't made certain decisions um, based on, on core beliefs of respecting other people. And, you know, if there's things that are, you have choices and you've got different pathways in life and, you know, you, you have to think about the people that will be impacted by them. And what decisions do you make that would more positively impact people being in a group, in a community? Um, you have to think, how, how do you ha have standards and be accountable um, to those people for those decisions you make? So um, integrity has always been a part of my decision-making process. And I would say the other thing I bring to the table is just um, energy of being at a new place. So um, being in my first month, um, maybe, I, maybe I won't have as much in the month six, but I've, I've certainly got it now. So um, just putting um, the foot to the gas and, and, and giving my all to, to Lafayette while I'm in my sort of honeymoon phase here at the college. Yeah, and I, to that, I would say, you know, in, in integrity is, is pretty big for me as well. I, I always have prided myself actually throughout 35 years of my career that, you know, I've never lied to students. I've never told students, even in the worst, like, you know, I've dealt, I, I was a conduct officer for many years and I never said to students like, oh, it's going to be okay if it wasn't, or that, you know, you should do, I, I was always very candid with students about, about this sort of the, what they were facing. And I feel like, you know, kind of what you see is what you get with me. And, and, and I, I, um, I think that's important. I think you, you sort of need to sort of be who you are and live in your own skin, uh, you know, sort of coming from, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sort of reflect back to the first question coming from uh, a family, you know, that, where I was the first generation of my family to go to college, we were very low income. I was sort of on this exploring my own sexual identity in college uh, kind of path. Um, for me, I felt at so many points in my life of being really outside. And I have felt that outside. I really like, took it in as being an outsider. And so being drawn in and drawing others in, being inclusive and, and really sort of meeting people where they are um, is, is important to me just because people did that for me at the institution that I went to. I don't think I could have persisted if I wasn't actually, if people were just reaching out to me and saying like, we value you, we, we love you, we, we love you just the way you are. We want you to be, we want you to be here. And that was not a message I certainly got when I was uh, yeah, for my family, but I certainly did not get it on, on the streets of the Bronx uh, when I was growing up. Uh, so I, I, I do think that um, sort of finding that space where we can draw students into the, the community, it doesn't feel like community is something other students get, and I don't get that. Um, for me, that's, a, that's, an important, um, that's an important institutional value that we have, and it's important to me. Mm -hmm. I guess one of the downsides of podcasts is that our viewers cannot see the broad smile that the responses of yours brings to our face. Uh, 
But as always, we like to end on a powerful note, and I believe the tone has been set just right with Brian, like Dean Sample, saying integrity at like pointing out integrity as its value, and then VPD audio talking about inclusiveness, and we've got both eyes, um, so that's nice. And now that we're at the end of our time, I would like to, and I guess Greta and I, we would like to take this time to thank you both for taking our time from your busy schedules. And we're doing this on a Wednesday afternoon, so it was a pretty busy schedule. And then being the guest on the episode. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having us. We, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you both. Thank yeah. you both. <laughs>
I think it was really interesting. You know, I was ready. I was prepared to go into every episode hearing disappointment. And I think I came (laughs) out of this like each week, just like more happier, more excited. (laughs) And I think like it's been so great to speak to all these different people, um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, because I didn't, you know, I mean, we talked about this obviously in the first episode in that, you know, students' voices are so important. And each week we've heard time and time again that they are even more important now. And the things that we're doing, making a podcast, having community discussions, um, other groups getting involved with other organizations and other groups and like collective student effort is what the school is asking of us. And so I think makes me feel good that we're all on the right path. You know, I think that Lafayette as a community is on the right path with that. And together. Yeah, because I, I thought of a very bad analogy, but I'm going to share it anyway. Because that's me. It's like all this time with all the Instagram posts and all the Greek-like survey, everything we discussed, what the student body had done, felt like knocking on a door that was locked. And we were constantly knocking. And now after talking to people, inside the room, we realized that, well, the door was always open and actually they were outside on the corridor. So you could have just went and talked to them, <laughs> like talking about changes and being, I think it's about creating the space of non-accusation, but rather intentional effort that is important. And Lafayette, and as you said in our, in our earlier podcast, the small community and campus size allows for that collaboration. And I think we should make the best out of it because that's what apparently everyone wants, the students, the faculty, the staffs, my co-host Greta. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're definitely right with that. And, you know, it's, it's also about the integrity, you know, of that interaction and the integrity of that action and intention. Um, you know, the intention is always to be inclusive and diverse, but we're, you know, we're we're realizing maybe not everything is working. And so let's go back to the drawing board. Let's talk to students. Let's let's understand the different perspectives of this campus as um, Dean Samples was saying, um, because they're all valid. You know, they are all experiences. They're all people, you know. And they're all different experiences. Like probably my experience is so much different than yours. And yeah. it's just about sitting there and listening to other people's experiences and not invalidating them because they're different from yours. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also the crisscrossing of our experiences. Like, of course, my experience will be different than yours, uh, different than the next person, than the next person. Mm-hmm. But it's the intersections of our experiences that honestly is has been really hopeful to see. And, and it's been optimistic to definitely um, talk about and hear about. And work on. And, yeah. and, and I guess like working on with you for this podcast has been one of my best experiences in Lafayette so far. And one of the most motivating experiences as well. So in behalf of our listeners, who I believe are in million in numbers. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> Millions of streams. Final question and put you on the spot. What is your last, not your last, but what is the message that you want to give to our listeners, which would be more than me? But yes, um, as a graduating senior, <laughs> Greta, class of 2021, what do you want to see Lafayette do and the student body do? And what space do you hope that we create in the years after you leave? Gosh, um, what a loaded question. <laughs> Thanks, Swati, <laughs> for putting me on the spot. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
you know, I think I'm going to echo the things I touched on in the last couple podcasts of it really, it really comes down to students using their voices and kind of coming together and deciding on values and then acting upon those and, you know, holding the administration accountable. I think as a student here, I was, you know, on an athletic team for most of it, but, and like, that was an amazing experience. Like I genuinely loved my athletic experience, but I think outside of that experience, I realized that the students really do have a voice in the way that their campus is created. And I think, um, that once I left, you know, the athletic team, I realized that and I enjoyed so much of my time because I was able to be so involved and, and not to say that I wasn't involved in athletics, um, in some ways, because you definitely still can. I mean, I still have teammates who are making changes within the athletic community and, you know, beyond that. But um, for me personally, I found when I was off of the athletic team, I was able to make so much more of an impact. And that just might be a me thing. It's definitely a me thing. Um, But my main message, my main message to somebody who is coming into this college or to myself four years ago, or, you know, to somebody in eight years, is fight for what you want, fight for the change that you want. You know, the administration needs to know, the institutions need to know what you need as a student and you need to voice that with, you know, confidence, with verver, you know. Um, any any thoughts for you, Swati? I mean, you halfway through, what are you thinking? I'm just, I, I, I'm just glad that we're having conversations that are difficult, but then that just means that we're having the right conversations. And I'm just happy that I got to hear this response from Greta. I'm the first person to hear it. So shout out to me. Um, I'm like so happy that we did this. I'm so happy that we did this (laughs) podcast together. Um, Genuinely. Also, as you said, will go down in one of my favorite experiences of college too. And I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. I'm like working on garage band, making this look easy. Reading for me. Let's just (laughs) stick with that. Um, But no. And I guess now that we're wrapping up, uh, we should just take a moment to thank our listeners. If you're still there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> However many and, there are of you. <laughs> but I trust, I trust our student body and I trust that people will listen to this. And if they're not listening, well, they, they don't know what I just said, so it's fine. Um, yeah, it doesn't even matter what we just said. They're not listening, <laughs> but we hope but, people listen. Because we really enjoyed listening to the conversations, but. Mm-hmm. And thank you for our guests as well. We thank them, but we want to take a moment to thank all of them. And thank you for this experience. And we hope that next year, as we march into, like this summer, like last summer was the summer of conversation. Let this summer be the summer of change. And let us all walk into the campus in a fall, which is better than it was before. Yeah. Yeah, there's a saying um, in sports, like, leave the jersey better than you found it. And I think that with each Lafayette class, hopefully that is happening. It is happening. (laughs) I have no doubt about that. That is happening. Goodbye and thank you, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And and what do we call it? And scene. And scene. We just wanted to say thank you again for listening, for being there through this journey with us. We also want to thank 
the peer educators at PASA um, for supporting us as well through this. It has been amazing to be a part of this organization as well as this community. We also want to thank our guests. Uh, so that includes Vice President Diorio, Dean Samble, Professor Hannon, Deputy Title IX Coordinator Amanda Hannoncheck, and finally, Professor Cuomo. We thank all of you for all your expertise, wisdom, and guidance truly through this whole process. So with that, thank you and goodbye. Thank you.